You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Gansert, and we've got another incredible show for you today with guests who are passionate and who really celebrate what it means to be humane. First up is Christy Brooke, best known for her appearances in movies like Soul Surfer and the upcoming movie Ragamuffin. And then we'll be joined by Madeline Auerbach, a vice president and a board member for the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. She'll stop by to talk about the type of care which retired racehorses need when their racing days are done. Well, you know, usually I start our show together with a little bit of news or a story or two, but today I want to go right into breaking news. Breaking news from the ground in Tennessee. Right now, as I'm recording this show, our Red Star team has deployed to Tennessee to help and assist in the care and transport of horses involved in a suspected animal cruelty case. I'm joined on the phone now by Chris Palandino, who is our communications liaison with Red Star. He's actually deployed with the team on the ground in Tennessee. And Chris, we welcome you to our show. Thanks for having me on. Well, glad to have you. So tell us what's going on with Red Star in Tennessee today. Well, today we're very grateful that the uh, horses are in much better shape. Yesterday morning, we responded with Head County uh, Sheriff's and Animal Control Officers to warrant they served a farm out in Fayette County, and we took control of 18 horses and one mule that were just in terrible shape, Robin. I've uh, seen a lot of uh, struggling animals over the years, and I'd be hard-pressed to say I've seen animals that were in such bad shape as these yesterday. That's horrible, a horrible case. And I know I've seen some of the photos that you've shared with us, and it's really just a horrific case of animal cruelty. How many horses are involved in the case? Again, it's 18 horses total and one mule. And uh, I have to say, our Red Star team, our volunteers, and the local veterinarian, Dr. Jennifer Dunlap, here from Fayette County, have been doing a tremendous job caring for them. We had um, four of the horses on IV drips overnight, and uh, it was touch and go with one of them for a while, but uh, so far, so good. It looks like all of them are going to pull through. I read that these horses were just starving to death, literally starving to death. And I understand when you arrived, there were several horses who uh, it was just too late to save them. Can you tell us about that? Our listeners would be really interested. It was heartbreaking to walk the grounds. There were five total that we uh, discovered uh, carcasses of of horses that had expired. Some of them looked like they had been there for a little while. One looked, unfortunately, relatively fresh. We weren't called in in time to save that one. This morning in the uh, court appearance for the uh, gentleman who was arrested, it came out that there were burials that have been done around the grounds and uh, the person who apparently helped with the burials is going to be helping uh, the sheriff's department and animal control show them where those burials are so we actually don't even have a total count yet of, of how many horses expired oh that's horrible i know you saw some really just devastating conditions on that farm can you tell us what's next for these animals that were seized as part of this raid well it's terrific that uh, we've got so many volunteers willing to take time out to come from around the country and help these animals through the Red Star team. They're being extremely well cared for right now. We've got uh, 24-hour care, uh, two different shifts, working 12 hours apiece, walking these horses, feeding these horses, grooming these horses, as I mentioned, four on IV drips. The expectation right now is in the next seven to 10 days, all but one are going to be strong enough for our team to transport them to a long-term rescue facility. 
uh, one of them, the weakest of, will probably wind up going home with the local vet who's been helping us. That's wonderful. I know Dr. Dunlap, and that's incredible that she's opening up her home for one of them. She's an inspirational woman, that's for sure. Tell us about their owner, the person who who allowed this to happen on his property. Uh, Tell us a little bit about his story and what charges would he face? Well, yeah, one can only wonder what would lead somebody to just ignore and mistreat their animals so uh, like this. If you owned them in the first place, you would expect that somebody had them because they had an affinity for, they care for these animals. So believe me, I've been thinking about it the last 24 hours, and I can't even begin to speculate in my mind what would make somebody be this cruel to their animals. The charges he faces are uh, 18 counts for the horses and one count for the mule of uh, animal cruelty, which... Unfortunately, in Tennessee, are all misdemeanor counts. They're considered livestock animals. And my understanding of Tennessee law, I'm not an attorney, but my understanding from the proceedings this morning is under Tennessee law, if they're livestock animals, it's not cruelty unless it's one of a limited few, almost torture level things. So he's been charged with 19, 18 counts of misdemeanor cruelty, I apologize. For. And uh, however, it seems the judge uh, didn't want to take any of his excuses and did set a bond at $5,000 per charge on the horses. So that's 18 times 5,000. He's been, he's facing a $90,000 bond, which I think is, uh, when you consider the uh, charges, is a very clear indication of how seriously both uh, the prosecutor's office and the court here are taking it. I also understand that they're in the process of pursuing uh, forfeiture of the horses so that they can legally be out of their ownership and, and control as soon as quite possible. Well, thank goodness, because we certainly wouldn't want those horses to go back to this owner at any time. I mean, well, that would be just... No, I can't imagine. I can't either. Apologies. You know, I'm so stunned. You just said that this is misdemeanor. So this gentleman who is the perpetrator of such horrific abuse of these horses, he could possibly not ever see jail time. Is that right? No, again, I'm not an attorney, so I want to be careful about coming across as a legal expert, but uh, these misdemeanor charges could still carry jail time. They're just, you know, they don't rise to the level in Tennessee of felony charges, which uh, I think is a disappointment to everyone, not the least of which the um, prosecutor's office here. No, I can understand, because I know when you see that kind of abuse on the ground, you definitely want to to prosecute fully, that's for sure. And I also know, Chris, that with cruelty cases like this, there's really not a lot of information we're able to share because of the ongoing legal case. And uh, again, this is an alleged case here, alleged, you know, actions, and I want to make sure we say that as well. And are there any other tidbits that that you can share with our listeners? I know you've given such a full report. Well, we are trying, of course, to be very careful. Uh, It is an ongoing legal case, as you explained. But your listeners, if they are interested in learning more, the local news stations here in Memphis all did carry it. They have great web stories. And and later today, we'll be sharing some additional photos that weren't released yesterday to those news stations and also to the uh, American Humane Association. I assume we'll have them on our website as well. Some more um, indications of how those horses are treated. One particular photo that's been requested is a shot that our team took of uh, the trees on the farm. You can see even the bark on the you know, trees has been eaten off. That's how hungry these horses were. They were eating the bark off the trees. Mm, horrible. Well, Chris, I know that you're on the ground with Red Star doing just really inspirational work. We thank you for taking time out of your schedule, caring for these horses to join us today. We're so proud of the work that you and our Red Star team are doing for these precious creatures who are in such dire need of care. Thank you, Chris, for being part of our team. Oh, Robin, truly, I mean, sincerely, the honor is mine. I appreciate the opportunity to volunteer with you guys. Thank you.
Oh, thank you. And listeners will be right back with actress Christy Brooke. And you're listening to Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. Isn't it amazing that what we're doing to help rescue those horses in Tennessee? My hat is off to everyone involved in this rescue effort, from the law enforcement agency to the DA and to the rescue groups who are taking in these horses. And now, on to our next guest for today's show. I'm joined by a successful actress who's had a passion for dogs. You've seen her in the film Soul Surfer and on the show Hawaii Five O, which is set in her gorgeous home state. Her new film, Ragamuffin, will be in theaters on May 2nd. Please welcome the beautiful Christy Brooke to the show. Hi, how are you, Robin? Oh, Christy, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you're doing well today. I am. It's a beautiful day in Los Angeles. I'm so excited to be talking with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, I'm here in snowy Washington, D.C., and I can tell you (laughs) in this side of the country, we are certainly tired of snow. It is crazy, but I know I had the pleasure of seeing you recently at our 2014 Hero Dog Awards kickoff party at Lisa Vanderpump's Sir Restaurant in L.A., and that was a beautiful evening out there on the West Coast, wasn't it? It was lovely, and there was no snow to be found. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. And just a lot of love for hero dogs everywhere, which was so much fun. Absolutely, it was. I was so happy to see you there. Oh, well, listen, I know that you have attended the past Hero Dog Awards shows, and we're hoping that you'll become even more involved with this year's show now in its fourth year. You know, what really drew you to the Hero Dog Awards? Well, you know, I'd always had a passion for what the American Humane Association stands for and what the work you all do. And uh, Shannon Powers actually introduced me to you, and I, I was so thankful for to, to have met you, really, and to be involved was just a huge passion of mine. Actually, um, grew up, my parents were missionaries, and so we've had sort of a passion just to help people and and to help, you know, kind of nurture not just people, but the connection between people and animals as well. I grew up with pets and, you know, just always had just a real passion for that. So it was just sort of a perfect situation where I felt so blessed to be able to be connected with Hero Dog Awards for the American Humane Association. 
Oh, that's amazing. And I had no idea that you were raised in a missionary family. How incredibly yeah. noble, what incredibly uh, important work. And uh, and I know yeah. you talked about being raised with animals. Can you share with us some of the stories about some of your first pets in your life? Oh, my goodness. My first pets, I've had dogs growing up, so I'm a huge dog lover. I mean, we have had all sorts of pets. My mom is a huge pet advocate, actually. Hi, Mom. <laughs> she <always laughs> hey, Christy's <has> mom. <laughs> she always brings home, I mean, birds and fish and dogs without asking my dad sometimes. <laughs> so it, it, was, it was really fun growing up. I mean, to this day, it's not home unless you can hear the birds chirping and the dogs barking. So it's oh. always been a fun time. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Well, I understand you are from Hawaii. Is that right? I am. I what? am. I, I'm so thrilled to have had that experience to live on Oahu. I actually I have roots from Tahiti originally. My family immigrated from Tahiti to Hawaii, and it's all on my mom's side. So it's really a blessing to have that kind of heritage. And, and my dad, of course, is from Kansas, so it's it's two ends of the spectrum. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it was amazing. I actually got involved in the Castle Performing Arts Center when I was 14, and they were awarded as one of the top 10 after-school arts programs in the nation by President Bush at the time. I mean, we really were taught a lot about, of course, our craft and acting and in, in performance, but also in life, really, how to treat people with respect, how to, you know, learn how to kind of push through your day when you're going through difficult situations. And the term I'm sure my theater people can understand is leave it at the door. That's something Karen Meyer, our director, had really instilled in us was to, um, you know, to leave whatever it is you're going through kind of at the door and just know that the show must go on. And so I really learned a lot through the Castle Performing Arts Center in Kaneohe um, growing up on Oahu. So it was a, a blessed time, and I'm so thankful that I can have that experience because you need times like that to help you in Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. It's a very, yeah. very tough world. The entertainment industry is tough to break into, and but you've had such Thank grand you. success. And oh, I know you. you really have. And I know that being from Hawaii, everyone must automatically assume that you surf. So my question yeah. is, have you ever surfed with our emerging hero dog, Ricochet? <laughs> I have had the pleasure to meet Ricochet and the cutest, I mean, the cutest dog you've ever seen. And Ricochet, I'm sure, can teach me a thing or two about surfing. I longboard, so that means I catch the white waves. Oh, <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so I definitely... Like, I could learn something from Ricochet for sure. <laughs> I tell you, well, you know, Ricochet has a lot to teach all of us because that's one very Absolutely. special emerging hero dog. And I think that uh, Ricochet has a book coming out later this year. So we'll have to bring Judy on our show and, and talk about it. Ricochet's life. I tell you, very, very impressive. And for those of you that are wondering who is Ricochet, I encourage you to go to our Hero Dog Awards website and you can click on the 2000. 2011 winners and you can see the three-minute video tribute that's all about ricochet and that dog's very impressive work with surfing and not just regular surfing as a dog would surf but this is a dog who surfs with people who have uh, disabilities really giving them a chance to uh, to be normal and to live a moment that celebrates being in the water and being free i just i love what ricochet does and uh, 
I just had a feeling that you would know Ricochet. I mean, absolutely. And you know, something I like to say, we both have this in common. We often think that, you know, we are the ones to rescue the animals, but really it's the animals who rescue us. And I couldn't think of a better example than someone like, you know, a dog like Ricochet, as well as the winner of the 2011 Hero Dog Awards, Rizelle. Huge example of rescuing Michael Hingston from the World Trade Center in 9-11. I mean, that story has stuck with me today, and I, I tell that story everywhere I go. And this intrigues mm-hmm. me how animals know how to react in emergency situations. You know, yes. we we had an earthquake in California yesterday, and the dog knew it was coming before we did. <laughs> so it's oh really goodness. profound how dogs have that instinct, you know. So yes. we can trust them. We can really trust them. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I tell you, I'm so glad everybody was safe in the earthquake yesterday. I mean, thank oh, goodness yes. everybody thank was safe. Absolutely. Well, you know, we've talked a lot about Hawaii, but we haven't talked about animal welfare in Hawaii. I mean, in your opinion, is it any different than what you see in California or in the mainland? And are there unique challenges that you've seen facing animals in Hawaii? You know, I think... I think the biggest challenge is finding a home for dogs. Currently, I volunteer for a rescue center in Studio City called Wilders, led by mm-hmm. Melissa Barker. And, you know, I get to walk the cutest little dog named Abel. And to Aww. me, it's just an amazing opportunity to be able to spend time with with these amazing animals. But at the same time, I see the growing need for, you know, for homes for these dogs. And that's the same. I mean, it mirrors the same need on Oahu, where I'm from. People, you know, just abandon their dogs, and it's really, really sad. And so I think to really raise awareness for the need to adopt would probably be first priority, I see, both in on Oahu as well as in, in Studio City, you know. It's yeah. kind of abroad, really. Yeah, and it doesn't matter where I travel, I still see the same needs, and that is that our local shelters need more and more resources, we need more forever loving homes, we need to have pet parents understand the needs and the responsibility around having a pet in their lives, it's the same thing, I think, from community to community, sometimes the weather's better, (laughs) that's what I see is is the difference, (laughs) you know, as, as you're probably in 70 degree temperature. And we're at the freezing mark here in Washington. So, um, you know, Christy, you have just had some amazing, amazing performances and some really cool films. I love Soul Surfer. Your new film's coming up and it's titled Ragamuffin, and you play the role of Sprinkle. Can you tell us a little bit about that role and what Sprinkle's all about? I can. I would love to tell you all about Sprinkle, who is a real person, actually. Her name is Kathy Sprinkle, and she is a longtime friend of the late Rich Mullins. And we were, as a cast, really honored to present Rich Mullins' story. As some of you may know, Rich Mullins wrote a lot of Amy Grant's hit music and then branched off later to do his own. And he was a real community-driven 
ambitious guy, but had just a lot going on, you know, on a deeper level. And I think this film really exposes his journey in faith, exposes his journey in human connection. And, you know, we're so honored to be a part of it. So I play Sprinkle, who is one of his college buddies back in the day. It takes place from the 70s until the late 80s, early 90s. So it's out in theaters on May 2nd. So go see Ragamuffin, directed by David Leo Schultz. I love it. That's great. Well, May 2nd, we will mark our calendars for that. That sounds like such a wonderful, wonderful film. What other projects do you have going on right now? Well, actually, I'm really excited. I just booked a show at the House of Blues on Thursday, May 1st. So if you have any inquiries or want to buy tickets, you can email kelly at kellynegary.com, and she can forward them to you. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Well, that is great. We're so proud to know you and so thrilled that you share our love for animals and that you're going to be part, again, of this year's Hero Dog Awards, where we can hopefully find the next ricochet. Who's the next emerging hero dog? I can't wait to see who the winner is going to be this year, and I am thrilled to be a part of it. Thank you, Robin, so much for having me. It's such an honor. Well, you're an inspiration, and we wish you just the best, and uh, certainly congratulations on Ragamuffin. Well, folks, we will be right back on Be Humane with Dr. Robin Ganser. Thanks so much for listening. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Jeff Werber from Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. We want to hear from you. Listen in. We're on every Thursday, 1 o'clock Pacific Time, 4 o'clock Eastern Time here on PetLifeRadio.com. We are here for you. We're trying to make life with your pets even better. I know it's hard to believe that can it even be better than it is, and hopefully it's fantastic already. The goal here is to answer your questions, help you out with your problems, anything you really wanted to know, but maybe you're afraid to ask your veterinarian, or maybe it was just too expensive to go to your veterinarian just to ask a few simple things. So that's what you got me for here at uh, Pet Life Radio. Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Call in. We'll see you here on Thursdays. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. We led off today's show with a bit of breaking news regarding our efforts to rescue allegedly abused horses in Tennessee. And I'm sure many of you know horses need a tremendous amount of care, no matter what role they serve. 
tremendous amount of love as well. And as we start to move into spring, our thoughts turn to some of the major horse races around the country, notably the Kentucky Derby and the Triple Crown with the Belmont and the Preakness. You know, racehorses in particular today present some unique challenges. They're raised on very special diets. They have very particular exercise regimes. And we all recognize that the career of a racehorse is a short one. Some of the most successful ones go on to live lives uh, as stud horses and in various breeding facilities, but there are so many others who don't. So today, I'm just thrilled to introduce to our listeners a leader in the retirement of horses who she's just done some incredibly inspirational work in this area. I'm introducing today Madeline Auerbach, who is the Vice President and Board Member of the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. Welcome to the show, Madeline. It's so nice to have you on today. Well, thank you, Robin. It's nice to speak with you also. You know, Madeline, at the top of the show, we talked about our efforts to rescue horses in the state of Tennessee. Can you tell us uh, and share with us your thoughts about some of the unique challenges with retired thoroughbreds? Well, we have a unique challenge with retired thoroughbreds because uh, their careers are, by the nature of what they do, short. They are incredibly athletic. They are accustomed to having a job, and they like having jobs, and they love performing, and they're very competitive. And when their careers are over, and typically their careers can be over sometimes quite young, sometimes they can go on and race as six-, seven-, and eight-year-olds. But in the current society, the way we view things today, most of them are done by the time they're six, sometimes seven. And then they can live to be in their 30s. So there's quite a gap between their active life on the track and what's left of life for them. Now, the better ones, better, I don't mean better in terms of they're better people, like you talk about better people, (laughs) better horses, the more Mm -hmm. skilled ones to other careers, usually in the breeding shed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they serve serve as, you know, studs or mares to produce the next generation of racehorses. But the vast majority of them do not have that option available to them. And it becomes the responsibility of the owners to find other jobs, other places for them. Fortunately, the culture has always allowed it to always be, well, that's someone else's problem and we won't worry about it. And mm-hmm. we can no longer put up with that. It is not anyone else's problem. It's our problem. And it's ours mm-hmm. to solve. And it is soluble. And we are solving it. That's really uh, refreshing to hear. You know, uh, it, we recognize that there are problems and working hard to solve them. Can you tell us a little bit about this group, Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance, and what you do to help these uh, gorgeous and powerful retirees? Well, what happened essentially, Robin, was several years ago, we had some rather negative things happen on the racetrack with some mm-hmm. horses getting hurt and a lot of attention to what happens to these horses. And a lot of the leaders in the industry felt very concerned that we express to people what we do and how we take care of horses. And it became apparent early on that we don't have a system that provides an opportunity for retired horses to be cared for. We have lots and lots of groups out there that try to rescue horses. We have lots of small charities that try to support these groups. But we have not had an organized, centralized, if you will, ability to handle these horses. So a group of very concerned owners, trainers, people really involved in the industry got together 
and decided to take that responsibility and form ourselves into an organization that became the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. And what that means is, is that we are a group of people who have determined that racehorses are entitled to a good retirement, they're entitled to a place to go, and they're entitled to our support and our care. So the mm-hmm. Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance has two missions. One of the missions is we accredit aftercare facilities. And what that means is when someone is going to apply for funding from our alliance, it is our job to, first of all, have them divulge all of their financial information, all mm-hmm. everything that we ask for. We need to know that they are 501c3s, which are recognized by the U.S. government as being charitable organizations, mm-hmm. that all their books and records are open to us, that they are who they say they are, that they don't have any uh, kind of record that uh, would make us believe that they are, have been involved with animal abuse. They're not eligible. They have to really be vetted up one side and down another, first of all, from looking at their paperwork. And then the second part of our vetting of these groups is we send inspectors to their locations, not just one location, but to their locations to actually mm-hmm. look at the horses, to eyeball them, to, mm-hmm. in the case of racehorses, to flip their lips and read their tattoos and to make sure they are who they say they are, to look at the environment and make sure that it is appropriate to, to that area and that the horses are well-fed and well-taken care of. So accreditation is a very, very arduous task that the people who apply to Money for us must go through in order to be able to get funded. And then the second part of our charge is to mm-hmm. actually raise the money to give to these aftercare facilities to make sure that they have the funds to feed and care for the horses. That's wonderful. And I think that seems to be a, a very strong two-pronged mission. So you get the funds to provide for the care. And then, of course, you're actually doing the uh, the robust due diligence to make sure that these sites are, uh, are acceptable to provide for the uh, humane retirement of these beautiful creatures. Can you share with our listeners, are people able to adopt these horses to live on their own farms once they see that a thoroughbred aftercare alliance has taken one in and has provided grant funds at a facility to, do those facilities open up and allow for adoptions? Yes, most of them do. Not all of them. Some of them are sanctuary-based, and Mm sanctuary-based will not take them. But most of the funding that we give is for facilities that would love to find a good caring home. And most of the facilities have very strict adoption agreements that provide that we do inspections for the homes that these horses are going to, and if there ever is a problem that most of these farms will insist on taking the horse back, the animal back. One of the things we did early on, Robin, is we partnered mm-hmm. with AHA. When we were putting together all, all of our agreements, we had the HAA scrutinized very carefully because <laughs> I know I was involved in a lot of it, down <laughs> right. to individual words and the mm-hmm. intent of the words and making sure that the AHA did indeed approve of our documentation and the way we take care of the horses. And we have a soup-to-nuts approach. We are responsible not only for giving the money away, but making sure that the money goes where it's supposed to. We have a fiduciary responsibility. We go to various parts of our industry. We go to the jockey club, and we go to the stallion owners, and we go to the racetracks. 
and we go to everybody who's involved in thoroughbred racing and get money from them. And therefore, what we do with that money is held under a microscope. And everything we do, we invite the oversight because we want people to know that every nickel that they give us goes to the appropriate purpose. I think that's great. It's terrific for donors. Donors value that kind of stewardship and certainly oversight, especially in these times. You know, Madeline, I understand that the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance was presented with the 2013 Special Eclipse Award, which honors outstanding contributions to the sport of thoroughbred racing. What does that receiving that award mean to TAA? Well, it, it means a lot because it, it, it says to the industry and says to the world, that we are who we say we are, that mm-hmm. we were a, a group of very divergent people from a lot of different backgrounds in a lot of different areas, and that we have promised the industry certain things and that we lived up to that promise. And in our first year, we collected a lot of money and we were able to fund a million dollars in our first year which has never been done before. This is really kind of a grand scale. And Mm -hmm. we were recognized for the hard work and the effort. And, you know, most of this stuff nobody sees. They don't see the countless hours and the problems and the things that you have to do to make sure that you can handle these situations. And almost everything we did in our first year was all by volunteers. And what we did with no money was Mm -hmm. very, very amazing. Now, you know as well as I do when you grow these organizations, you can't grow them without having some staff and some support. But the idea is to keep that minimal and to make sure the funding goes where it belongs and that's to the horses. And it was, it gave us instant credibility and it really has helped us a great deal. Oh, that's wonderful. Congratulations. Congratulations. You know, it's so nice to be able to talk to an inspirational leader such as Madeline doing such good work for horses, particularly on the, uh, really right on the heels of the news about the alleged cruelty case in the state of Tennessee. So this is uh, uplifting to us all, Madeline. You know, thank you so much for what you're doing. And um, well, I'd like to know how our listeners can learn more about the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. What's your website? Well, it's thoroughbredalliance.com and thoroughbredalliance.org. You will find us there. We're all over the net. It's really important for your listeners to know that. I'm in California. The base for the organization is in Kentucky and that we have representation in almost every state in the country and Canada and that we work with people all over the country. So if you will go up to your, you know, your Google provider there and just look us up, you will find us. Absolutely. I see you on thoroughbredaftercare.org, and I see you have an active Facebook page as well, and Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance on Facebook. So there's lots of great contact information there, too. Madeline, again, congratulations on your award, and certainly for all the great work that you've done and getting this institution off the ground. It's life-affirming for those of us that love the American icon, the horse. So thank you so much. Well, you're welcome, and look for a lot of, we have a lot of really big news this year. We anticipate double doubling our awards and doubling the amount of rescues that we help. So we're growing really rapidly and we're very proud. Well, that's the kind of exponential growth we need. So I know we have horses out there that are cheering. So this is great news. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on today's show. And it's so lovely to end on an upbeat note, knowing that the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance is growing at such a rapid rate. I want to thank all three of my guests, Chris Palladino with our Red Star team in the state of Tennessee, Christy Brook, who has had some wonderful stories about animal welfare in the state of Hawaii, and of course, Madeline Auerbach, who's with the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. 
Alliance. We'll be back next week with another episode, but until then, let's all remember to be humane. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.